Hello and welcome to the Sandro Forte podcast. Over the many years I've been running a business, I've met many, many successful people, entrepreneurs, sports stars, celebrities, and dare I say, even royalty. So what makes a person successful? Do we know what success is? And the all important question, can we create success for ourselves? This podcast series invites a diverse group of people to share their insights, their wisdom, and the things they've learned along the way. Hello and welcome to the Sandro Forte podcast. Now, usually you'd be hearing the voice of your usual host, Sandro Forte, but today we're turning the tables and I, David Braithwaite, are going to be interviewing your host, Sandro Forte, instead. In each weekly podcast, Sandro invites a new guest from his extensive network of successful individuals to discuss their life stories, challenges and experiences that have made them who they are today and finds out, more importantly, what their journey to get there has been, the lessons they've learned in life and also critically what success actually means to them their insights and wisdom both educate and motivate as they explain how success whilst not always easy is actually achievable for anyone he's the perfect interviewer as sandro has lived through more than his own fair share of adversity and incredible experiences and his own success has been unquestionable sandro forte is a highly respected and successful businessman who's built an astonishing network of well-known individuals sports stars and celebrities over a career spanning some 30-odd years. Sandra is also an international speaker, a life coach and author of the best-selling book Dare to be Different and that is just scratching the surface that we hope to do more of shortly. He has empathy and understanding of each of his guests and allow him to ask all the right questions which are brought to life by bringing his unique and real personality to the table. But today... It's different. It's your chance to find out more about that personality behind the podcast presenter's voice. And I'm hoping to extract the best bits from what's been a fascinating and all-encompassing life journey with Sandro. We'll hear about the challenges he's encountered along the way, both the positive and negative experiences in his life, and how they've led to his own phenomenal success and why he has such a passion for helping others. I have no doubt that by the time you've listened to this podcast you'll feel even more endeared to your host and make listening to his future podcast an even fuller experiencing, knowing that he's not just the presenter, but rather a passionate, compassionate, talented individual that hopes to bring positivity and inspiration to your life as much as his guests have. So, Sandro, thank you for agreeing to be a guest on your very own podcast. It seemed only right that we hear from Sandro, who usually is asking all the questions, so that we can find out more about you, your journey, and also your tips for success. So this is great. Sandro Forte, welcome to the Sandro Forte podcast. <laughs> this is surreal. This is, <laughs> this is very odd. Two things I would say. Number one, I'm sure that wasn't my introduction. That's somebody else's introduction, though it was very kind of you to uh, to introduce me in that way, David. And I and I think the second thing is that um, I, I'm not I'm not in the least bit sure that people are going to be vaguely interested in what I have to say. But anyway, I will happily answer your questions and we'll see where it takes us. And I've seen people, we're going to talk about your speaking career, but I've seen people wanting to come up and talk to you. I've wanted to talk to you to find out more about your stories. And I always think that people's stories are absolutely fascinating. They what make people who they are today. So we're going to dig a bit deeper. But we're going to start off with, Sandro, your early days. Tell me about the young Sandro Forte's life to start off with. Well, um, I'm the eldest of... Uh 
Let's try and sort this out first of all because it's quite complicated. My mum has been married three times uh, and has been widowed twice. So the reason she's been married three times is my father was uh, a very successful restaurateur. Mm. He died when I was nine years old. I was the eldest of four children. My stepfather died 13 years later, both of them through cancer, by which time... um, two stepsisters from his first marriage, my stepfather's first marriage, and uh, my half-sister, who was born to my stepfather and my mother, appeared on the scene. So we kind of went from seven kids to... Uh, from four kids, I beg your pardon, to seven kids over a span of about 13, 14 years. Um, So the early days for me, you know, very, I think, you know, the stereotypical, quite successful family, entrepreneur, father, stay-at-home mum, but widowed at 29. And we went from having, you know, what I think most people would want to have, which was the, the successful dad and the big house and a couple of holidays a year and all the things that we, I guess, as young people, we would like to have mm. uh, and then ended up really losing everything my mum was declared bankrupt a few years later we we ended up in a council house and um, I mean life life changed obviously but what I would say is in many ways those new experiences over the next 10 12 years uh, until the passing of my stepfather totally different set of experiences but uh, in many ways some challenges but some great things came from that too so um, I've I've been the eldest of, of the family the the siblings for um, and that presents its own set of challenges I have mm. to say but we're, I guess we'll explore those so um, yeah I, I, you know what I went through wasn't um, I don't share that because it's particularly tragic everyone's experienced loss and had difficulties to, to face in their lives but uh, as a young child growing up that you know the difficulty of losing your father at a very very young age particularly when you've got three younger siblings is really tough mm. and then for my poor mum and my family to go through it a second time around was 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 really difficult so how did you actually process and deal with that as a young boy father is obviously going to be quite impressionable to you how did you deal and process with that not just once but twice that sort of trauma is is very unusual particularly happening that frequently i think um well i think the simple answer to that one is i don't think i ever have dealt with it um i think you you have to deal with certain things to to get by in life to put one foot in front of the other but you know i still have you know emotional challenges with mm. that with that event or those series of events i stand on stages i speak to people i share that story and i can't remember the last time i ever shared that story and didn't get emotional about it so i mm. still live with that every day um a lot of people say you know do you regret what happened to your father of course i do but then what came next which created more of an impression in many ways shaped my life um wouldn't have happened without that so i try to be really philosophical about it but i'm you know i have i'll be honest um since people are looking Uh, in the way you described earlier to kind of understand the person that I am Mm. Uh, life hasn't been very exactly plain sailing and I I have been to hypnotists I have been to psychologists to talk about my experiences to try and unravel all of those things that have been hidden away because of course we didn't have the understanding of mental illness and the challenges that we do face emotionally all those years ago we just got on and dealt with it so yeah it, I think it would be fair to say and to put it into perspective for people myself my family my mum uh, my youngest brother in particular you know he was three when my father passed away we we've always struggled with it there's no there's no easy fix you just have to take one of two decisions you either you know dive under the duvet and don't come up for days or you you know you drag yourself out of bed and 
and confront life. Dust yourself off. Mm. It's still very, very hard. I can see in your eyes as well. This is a podcast for people looking, listening to this on audio, but I can just see just watching your eyes there that this is clearly a difficult thing to actually talk about. And it's, it's often those difficult things that do make us who we are today to give us the stories or the, the, the reason why we do things sometimes in life. So what do you think that it says about your character, though, to have coped with and channeled that trauma so positively? I remember when my father passed away, I uh, I was dragged to the headmistress's office at the time and the one clear thing I remember about my father's passing was my mum saying to me, you're the man of the house now. Now, on one and level... And you were how old again? Nine. Nine. But I remember there two things came from that. On one level it was lovely to be the kind of the figurehead of the business to take care of my siblings and actually what that gave me subconsciously was this kind of permission to be a fixer to be the person who was destined in many ways to help other people and that's manifested itself in lots of other ways you know the podcast the speaking and mm. and and the wealth management business that I ran everything I do is is very much about helping people and I'm I believe it came from that first comment from my mum all those years ago on another level, you are burdened with uh, this belief that you have to be something that I didn't have the chance to evolve into. You know, I didn't have a childhood in many ways. At the age of 13, I was working two hours before school, two hours after school, all my summer holidays, because when my father passed away, having run a number of restaurants successfully, those businesses passed to my auntie, and I was helping out the family, inverted commas, to make sure that financially we survived. So I didn't have the, the the long days in the park and the computer games and the, all the things that a lot of people now take for granted. I was I was working at the age of thirteen, almost full time around school, but that taught me loads and loads of other great things. So, you know, throughout all of my life. For every great thing that's happened, there's always been a challenge that, mm. that underpins it. It's really a question how you deal with those those two different things. So you had to grow up really fast and learn responsibility. Well, some them. some people would say I've never grown up, but um, yeah, <laughs> I, I, on one but level, from definitely. from nine years old to then say you are now the man of the family, that is quite some burn responsibility. So you're forced to grow up very quickly. And I mentioned in the introduction earlier on that you have great empathy for other people. You have this natural gift and ability to see things from other people's points of view and naturally connect to them, which is very rare in, in most people, I find. But when you find other people in a similar situation to you, or they're in challenging life situations that you've been in, how do you support and encourage them to set, find the same sort of positivity that you seem to have got from that tragic experience that you've been through? Oh, gosh, that's a, that's a very big question. Um, I think a lot of people say to me, you know, when you go and do your your talks, your presentations, are you a motivational speaker? And the answer is absolutely not. Uh, with great respect to lots of speakers, many of whom are dear friends who would call themselves motivational speakers, they do a great job. And I won't mention names, but there's a few really, really well-known people out there that make a lot of money from being motivational speakers. Mm. My particular view is that I can stand on a stage or in a room with people, and anyone can do this, frankly, and I can motivate someone. I can tell them how great they are, I can dust them down, and I can big them up, and I can pat them on the back metaphorically, and they can feel great about themselves for a period of time probably for the rest of that day. What happens in reality is the next day, life returns to normal, things get in the way, and you normally revert to type, and that motivation dissipates, and people then have to kind of rediscover the process to get back to where they were before. Absolutely, yeah. On the other hand, if you give people the life skills to get from A to B, if you can kind of 
get underneath their skin a little bit, understand what makes them passionate. We've heard from all sorts of guests on this podcast, what makes them passionate, what they believe and what their skill sets are. And you get them to focus on solutions. So how do I transition from here to here? Once that happens or that process begins to happen, motivation almost takes care of itself. Because if I say to you, here's how you sell more, here's how you attract more clients, here's how you improve customer service, here's how you handle objections, whatever it happens to be in your business, if you become very, very skilled at those things and you become more successful as a result, then I believe that motivation is something that starts and grows from within. So I don't really need to, I don't need to motivate somebody. So um, in answer to your question, David, when someone has a challenge, the first thing I normally do is is explore, uh, go back to the basics in many ways, find those building blocks that created a platform for success for them in the first place, revisit them, break everything down into small bite-sized chunks because the chances are they've probably lost contact with those things, mm. revisit them tweak or improve the component parts and put it all back together again and and kind of generally speaking most of the rest of the stuff takes care of itself amazing so i have to ask and you've mentioned this a couple of times your surname is forte is there a link to the forte group of hotels restaurants you mentioned earlier on what's the link to forte i uh well the answer is there is a link uh the family is very, very big. I'm not saying that every forte in the world is related to us, but I reckon if you uh, if you started the family tree, which I did actually with uh, my second cousin Rocco Forte, who now runs the Rocco Forte Hotel Group, uh, we started this family tree thing uh, many years ago. I kind of um, and it does go a long way to explain why I am like I am. But I started to do the family's tree and realised that my grandmother married my grandfather, and they were both fortes when they married, albeit very, very distant cousins. Mm. I do have five toes on each foot and five fingers on each hand um, but it became very very complicated because the family is so massive and it and it started uh, from a small village in Naples just outside Naples uh, and there are lots of fortes all over the world what I discovered as a result of doing this uh, this family tree which I gave up on because it became very complicated was that there are 87 people between me and a vast fortune uh, so the important thing for people to realize is I am a poor relation in the family and I had to work for a living I couldn't just sit there and wait for uh, somebody to pass me a legacy no, so, second, no. second Rocco and I are second cousins Charles was my grandfather's cousin i think from memory but so distantly related enough but i but i know but rocco. related you are yes and i know uh, rocco and olga and alex you know well so excellent so going back then so you you as a young boy you're you're in financial services you mentioned you have a wealth management business how did you get started in that originally what led you to financial services Okay, so the, <laughs> the important thing to say is I didn't dream of being a financial advisor when I was 14 years old. Uh, what did you it, want to be when you were 14? Let's, let's ask oh, that question. What I, was your dream job? The dream job was uh, to be a surgeon. Going back to what I said, you know, the helper, the fixer. Yeah. Uh, everything I've ever dreamed of doing as a kid, uh, actually looking back now, was all about uh, helping somebody to achieve some kind of outcome. So I, I had no fear of blood and gore. So the idea of being a surgeon or a, or a GP or somebody in the medical profession was really appealing. The only problem was I hated my physics teacher at school. I was kind of an A student in chemistry and biology and all the other things I needed. Hated uh, Mr. Mitchell. Sorry, Mr. Mitchell, if you're oh, listening. Oh, if he's listening now. Hated Mr. Mitchell. Uh, <laughs> 
And um, and as a consequence, I got a C in physics and I just didn't want to take a year out to, to redo it. So um, I ended up working for a family friend f- for no other reason than to pay off my student overdraft. And um, he, it just so happened he'd started his own independent financial advisory business in Western Supermare, which is where I grew up, and started working in an admin capacity for him for about six months. Realised that I wasn't making any financial progress at all. My overdraft was bigger than it was when I started because, you know, as any kind of young man, 21 years of age golf and spending time with my mates was more appealing than working Mm -hmm. Uh, and so I made all these excuses as to why I should just kind of coast through life after six months realized that I really had to butt my ideas up and he came to me Tony my boss at the time and said you know I think you might have a kind of a the personality to to sell to advise to people and I'm absolutely not I'll let me stick with the admin job Um, and he he kind of put a little kind of incentive package together for me and said no you know here's a few clients that you can go and see for me and just cut your teeth and that's really how it all started and what I realised because I am one of these people that love other dealing with other people I'm a face-to-face kind of guy and I I soon realised that this was probably the way I was going to go and mm. I, I served a four-year apprenticeship with him didn't particularly like again Tony if you're listening no disrespect intended I didn't necessarily like the way that he went about things the the relationships he built with with clients were not as strong as I would have liked them to have been and but what's interesting again from every challenge or obstacle in life David you know sometimes we see an opportunity so I thought actually stereotypically and I do believe present company accepted that there are still too many people in our industry that fit into this category you know they're they're very much about themselves it's all about you know how much money can I make rather than the process I wanted to focus on was which which was how many people can I help and if the byproduct of that is I achieve some degree of financial success as a result then that would be my model so I actually built a business that was almost the inverse of the stereotypical model in financial services Mm. and really that's probably the single biggest building block to the success of of the Forte Financial Group. But it's interesting it all stems from when you're younger you just want to help and fix people it just so happens that you're doing it with financial products rather than a scalpel yeah isn't it so yeah. your, your overarching want and need yeah. is met by helping other people and presumably you get a lot of joy when you take somebody with their financial position that they're in and you make them better off from having met you and they engage with you the level of um, satisfaction I guess from that must be huge well, the, the thing that a lot of people don't know about me, I mean, if you've, if you've heard me present somewhere, you probably do know this, but certainly the vast majority of listeners to this podcast won't know this, is that um, one of the things that I was confronted with when I joined the financial services business in 89, started working for Tony, is that uh, really the, the first person I had to speak to was my mum and stepfather, Dave, because obviously we'd had a, a traumatic financial experience many of years course, previously. Yeah. My mum had lost the house. And, and really what that should have told me was the first conversation about in this particular case life insurance should be with my stepfather and my mum but you know one of the the biggest things that we all face when we have an anxiety over something the fear of the unknown is that I was worried that my stepdad would say no to me because you know they didn't have very much money he'd given up a full-time job to help look after the family and really the last thing on their mind was probably spending money on insurance but that was that was something that I had in my head it wasn't reality it was something I was worried about so I I put off having that conversation for two years it was you know I started in 89 it wasn't until December 91 that I had that conversation with my mum and stepdad um 
and I and to my surprise, when I had the conversation, I'm like, oh yeah, it's something we've been thinking about. So lesson number one was, you know, there's a there's a big and fundamental difference between fear, which is is the known entity, the thing that we actually have some evidence of, and then there's anxiety, which is a fear of what's still to come. And what I've found throughout the last 30 years is all the things I've worried about, the vast majority, 99% of them, you look back and go, do you know what, it's not nearly as bad as I thought it was going to be. So I had this conversation with my stepdad, he went for a medical, we set up some insurance cover, and he passed away from cancer two months later. And all the time that he went through that medical process, he had a very aggressive cancer but they just didn't pick it up during the medical. And so um, I had an opportunity in life. It was presented to me. It was a small window of opportunity. I failed myself, I believe, for, for those two years. And I'm, I, you know, I'm, I'm happy to sit here now and admit the fact that procrastination is you know, the root of all evil because uh, it's easy to make excuses because we feel comfortable about it. Uh, but I wouldn't be sat here today if anything had happened to him and I hadn't had that conversation. So that transformed my view of life, relationships, Ships, um, getting the job done. I, I don't sit there now with my hand in the air waiting for the opportunity. I tend to be an action kind of person. Um, but that experience, you know, taught me an awful lot. And uh, my mum and family would have been on the knees financially again, second time around, had I not had that conversation. But it took me two years. So sometimes we have to hold our hands up and say, you know what, uh, you know, sometimes we do make mistakes. Sometimes we are guilty of not doing the things we need to do. But as long as you learn from them and as long as you 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 emerge from that a better person, that to me is the secret of success. Wow, so many stories coming out here. We're learning a lot more about Sandro Forte today, definitely from that point of view. Now, I also mentioned in the, in the introduction about coaching, which I guess might be also where you want to help and fix and mend things. Is that the same with coaching? What exactly is it that you coach? How do you coach people? And how do you get the sort of desired outcome from everybody that you're working with when you are coaching? Well, um, coaching is not something I try to uh, to take on uh, in a... I mean, it's very time-consuming, but let, let me share a story with you, if I may. Um, several years ago, in fact, a, a previous podcast guest, a lovely lady called Marty, she's from Hungary, she approached me, and, and I, I've always been a very positive reactor to people who get up out of their seat and say can I have some help please mm. and Marty it takes um, guts as well it does mm. I, and I'm I'm a great believer that you can teach anybody anything but you can't teach them passion and resilience and personality you've either got that or you haven't mm. and Marty came to me and I, she won't mind me sharing this story um and I'll leave out the the important and personal bits, but just generally speaking, she had reached a crossroads in her life. Um, she had had a relationship breakup. She was kind of facing the do I go left or do I go right scenario. Career was probably, she felt a bit burnt out and, and wasn't really sure the direction she was going to go in. She came to me and said, you know, really I am, for want of a better expression, failing in my business. And how does she come by you? I was, I was doing a presentation for the insurance company that she was working for in Hungary oh, right. at the time, yeah. and she approached me after the event and said, you know, would you be able to coach me? And my instinct said, you know, no, I'm, I'm happy to give you some guidance and, and dust you down and help you out, but I don't have the time to coach you per se. Hmm. But since she came to me and said, look, this is where I'm, I'm at in life, that was uh, April 2016, I think we had that conversation. And I said, I'll tell you what we'll do. You give me eight months, and what I'd like you to do in that eight months is I'd like you to do everything I ask you to do, 
without question. Uh, I had to get the, uh, the agreement from her that she would do it unconditionally because I believe you can only be successful if you are 10 out of 10 serious about it. Mm. You can't be 8 out of 10 or six and a half or quite serious is it's either i'm in or i'm out and she was clearly in she looked me in the eye and she was like whatever you tell me to do i'll do now i'm not saying just to add a caveat here i'm not suggesting that everything i told her to do in the next eight months worked I, I don't have you know i don't have a magic wand or a crystal ball but what i was able to be for her and this is what i think coaching is it's like the voice on the shoulder it's like the personal trainer at the gym it was somebody who just keeps you focused when you want you want to do that extra rep, but there's no one stood next to you. So you go, do you know what? I'll leave until tomorrow. <laughs> or it hurts a little bit much. Very easy to too do. Much. Yeah. And so for me, I was just the voice on the shoulder. So um, all of her success that followed was down to Marty. It was not down to me. All I really did is we had a weekly coaching call and sometimes it was two and three calls and they might have been five minutes, they might have been an hour. And we just explored all the things that she was finding challenging, what was great about her, because everyone's got strengths, everyone's got weaknesses. So we focused very much on the strengths. We either tried to eliminate or delegate the weaknesses. Long story short, long eight months short uh, as a story, um, she made it to number three in her company. And we're talking a big company. And by the following August, she was number one in her company. She's been there ever since. And that's down to, this whole premise that we all need someone and you know I call them circle of five and I've referred to them on the podcast mm. before but you know surround yourself with with great people if you want to be a great golfer I, I played for the county many years ago play with better golfers um, raise your game I have a coach balcony people exactly call them. balcony yeah. people yeah. Isn't it? people who can pull you up yeah. and help you but my circle of five is always about trying to find two people that are better than me at something god I sounded a bit west country then uh, five people uh, two people that are better than me at something and then two people that I can help along the way so my circle I try to position myself in the more in the middle. So I've got a couple of people I'm always aspiring to be like, if you if you if you wish, and then two people that I can kind of drag along that journey as well. And I think if you if you keep in the middle of those five people, you're always going to stay grounded whilst learning a lot along the way. See, Marty was obviously open to be coached as well. He needs to be coachable mm -hmm. on the other side and have to, to listen. It's it's a tricky thing, though, with, with maybe some of the coaching side of it because have you ever come across people where they've said, I really want some help, and then actually they don't or they don't respond very well because they say they want help but actually when it comes down to putting the work in what like mm. marty clearly did mm. they're not prepared to see it through and that must be frustrating as equally as someone like marty must make you feel amazing and and so to see her succeed like that you, you see have the two sides of the coin well she's marty's been exceptionally kind you know she now speaks on big stages all around the world and uh you know often uh tells the story and it kind of puts me on a bit of a platform and, and that's not deserved at all because her success is down to her um, but you know the fact of the matter is that there are people who are not very coachable and one of the things I'm, I'm letting you into a little secret here mm. one of the things that I always do is I always present a really challenging um, I give them a very challenging task so I'll give you an example I won't mention her name in case she's listening and it would embarrass her but there was a lady who approached me recently for some coaching and I said okay what I'd like you to do is I'd like you to get on a train and I'd like you to come and see me and we'll have a meeting near where I live. Mm, okay. And she came back to me and went, oh, you know, I was kind of hoping that we'd have the meeting, the coaching meeting near where I live because it just makes things a bit easier for me. And I was like, thanks for your time. 
And that was the end of the conversation. So I decided not to take her on because if she's not prepared... It's about commitment, isn't it? You can't coach somebody who's not in, all in. You, yeah. you can't. I'm just wasting my time. And frankly, I'm wasting their time as well. So sometimes I'll, do, I'll throw down the challenge and just see what they're made of. Marty looked me in the eye and said, whatever it takes, I will do. And that's why she's been successful. Well done. Well done, Marty, as well. So your life experiences that you had as, as a younger boy and, and growing up through your career in financial services, how has that changed and, and modelled the way that, in which you do coach people? I, I, I do adopt a bit of a no, no prisoners. I have, a, I, I have a kind of a no prisoners approach, as in I'm, I'm a doer. I, I tend not to... I'm very spontaneous. I tend to follow my gut more now, more so. I'm not very logical. I'm very right brain, uh, very spontaneous. You know, I'm a, I'm a salesperson's dream because I make a decision and think about it afterwards. Uh, the, the amount of stuff that goes back on mail order, you, you just, my poor suffering uh, assistant, Vicky, um, she loses the will to live with the stuff I send back. But, you know, the, the fact of the matter is that I, I do have a, a number of things that I think have come from those experiences and, and, and all of us are affected in some way by what, what happens, but they shape us. The, so the first thing is I, I don't, I don't accept excuses. Excuses are just, uh, I want to feel a bit more comfortable. And success isn't comfortable. I don't know a single person that's ever achieved anything that has lived in a comfort zone. So you have to be prepared to feel a bit uncomfortable and sometimes very uncomfortable. You have to be a doer. You can't sit and talk about it. You can't sit there with the, your hand in the air. The number of times I've I, you know, I've ended a presentation saying, who'd like a free copy of my book? And you see 3,000 people sitting there in front of you, with, literally with a hand up, mm. waiting for you to walk down into the audience go there you go and it's free there's no commitment from them either is there so they're just going to take and it take I've, I've stood in front of an audience and waited 10 minutes for somebody for the penny to drop for somebody to go oh, actually what he's asking me to do is to stand up get up out of my seat in life and physically grasp that opportunity that's that's a kind of a, a metaphor um so yeah you, you've got to be all in you you've got to be a doer not a talker um you can't feel comfortable there are times where you feel comfortable. That's great, you know, and consolidation and all that stuff. I, I I buy into it. But, you know, if you are a Richard Branson, if you're a Steve Jobs, God rest his soul, you, you don't live in a in a state of feeling comfortable. Read their books. That's all they ever talk about. The challenges, the pitfalls, the obstacles, mm. the roadblocks. They take a step back. How do we fix it? How do we find a way through this? That's that's their life. I mean, in in, in a nutshell. So, uh, and there, there are loads of other things uh, as well that have come from it. I, I think the compassion bit comes partly from my experience, but also another little secret is because when I was deciding that I wasn't going to be a brain surgeon or heart surgeon because I didn't have my physics thanks to Mr Mitchell um, <laughs> and before I decided that financial services was going to be for me but that was almost an accident in those intervening three years I went to drama school because my stepfather God rest his soul as well who was a, a real influence on my on my career in my life he was um, he was into dramatics and he was a, he directed a few plays and a and a few musicals and how I got roped into all that I don't know but one of the things that that taught me was that kind of human interaction and when my two lovely twin children Tom and Ellie um, who are 23 now and I'm a grandfather of two this is oh, extraordinary at the age of 51 um, one of the things I said to them is right you know when you come to choose your extra subject I'm the only thing I'm going to insist that you do is drama and I do believe it should be part of the curriculum in the UK because what that you know they've both got lovely personalities and, and they've evolved from 
the expression, expression of personality, improvisation, thinking for themselves, which unfortunately in the current world, David, it's it's very difficult for people to think for themselves because they've got social media and Google and all those things we didn't have when we were kids. Distractions everywhere, yeah, isn't it? Exactly. Do you uh, think it also helps with confidence as well? So you're doing the drama, it teaches you how to present yourself in front of people, how to have more confidence, put your words and, and the, what you want to get across in a message in a clearer way because you've had training. You mentioned your physics teacher. So you mentioned subjects at school, you have to do your maths, your English, your physics. But actually, do you think education could do with more things like drama, life skills I've that got... you're going to use uh, instead of, you know, I did French. I know a bit of French. But really, it doesn't help me in the job that I've actually got now. What I'd love to have known was things like the confidence, how you speak to people, Dale Carnegie do classes and things like this. Mm. So that sort of stuff, life skills, do you think we're lacking that in education? I've always, I've always thought that. Um, you know, I, I, it does trouble me a lot. Uh, in the modern world. Um, I've got lots of younger friends, but uh, if you look at, I mean, my kids are good examples. They've they've grown up in a world where everything is easy. And, you know, I learned how to work really hard. And I have to say, that's one of my kind of lessons for life is the people that work hard often <laughs> tend to be more successful than people who don't. I mean, it's not Funny rocket that, science. Yeah, <laughs> rocket, not rocket science. You know, if, if you get up at seven o'clock in the morning, I'm normally at my desk or I'm in the gym at seven o'clock in the morning. I've done two hours work before most people you know appear in the office and you know if you can work a 14 hour day and people criticize me for the lack of work-life balance like I get all that I'm not perfect but you get more done in 14 hours than you do in seven it's just logic it's a isn't fact it? yeah and there's a, there's a book, Miracle Morning, um, which I read once, which is, which is basically, if you want to get more done, get up earlier. Yeah. It isn't difficult to do. If you want to find the time, you'll make the time. If not, you'll find an excuse. Yeah. And if you're not receiving emails from Australia and places like that, there's a good possibility that between the hours of five and nine o'clock in the morning, you've got no distractions whatsoever. So actually, you get twice as much work done. So, you know, I, I do, it does trouble me that uh, in the modern world, there's far too many distractions. But, you know, the whole personality thing to your earlier question is... Um, I think you've got to have it in your DNA. I think you can't just go to an improvisation class and emerge as someone who is completely different from the person who walked in. Uh, you know, I have inherited the DNA from my mum. She, uh, Carol, who I, I have to give a shout out to because she's been the greatest influence in my life. How she has got through what she's got through is nothing short of remarkable. She's brought up, you know, seven kids, mm. uh, four the, the original four, as I call them, my half-sister Marina uh, and my two stepsisters. And and done it, done it with three husbands through no fault of her own. You know, there was no divorces involved. It was just bereavement. So how she survived, what she survived is incredible. But, you know, the fact of the matter is my mum does kind of like to be the life and the soul of the party. She does like to be the centre of attention. And that's not a criticism of my mum, Carol, at all. Uh, and I think we've all kind of inherited a little bit of that. You know, so me standing on a stage doesn't feel alien to me because I've got my mum in me, you know. Um, so loads to be thankful to, to my mum for, you know. And, and, and also, you know, my sisters Emma and Nikki and my brother Marcus. I mean, I, I do wish for many, many... Uh, of the younger of today's society that they we could take them back to the 70s and 80s when it was the park it was the local park or nothing or a jigsaw puzzle <laughs> or nothing there were no computer games you know the first one i came across was atari in about 1987 or something um so yeah the world has changed a lot uh, in many ways for good in in many ways not so how does it make you feel when you talk about your family and in particular your mum 
we're we're very close. We uh, we all get together. We all live in different parts of the country now. My mum and Emma and Nikki live in the West Country. My uh, brother uh, Mark is in Derbyshire, and I live in South Yorkshire. Uh, and um, we're nevertheless very close. We get together on all the usual occasions. But once a month, uh, Emma, Nikki, my mum and I get together and we have a game called Canasta. Uh, for those of you who don't know Canasta, I can't even believe we're having a conversation about Canasta. <laughs> this is all about the secrets of learning about Sandra today, and I'm trying to tease but them out. very strategic. Canasta is a, is a kind of a manifestation of, I think, of, of my personality as well. It's the card game that I would say... If you said, OK, you know... What, what kind of animal would you associate yourself? In terms of card games, what card game would I most associate myself with? It would be Canasta, because, you know, it's a, it's a lot of fun, but it's quite strategic. You have to think really carefully through it. Anyway, we, we get together once a month, and we have a good old catch-up. Um, so I think reconnecting with family is really, really important. And we have we all have a very close bond, because we have lived through some, some pretty tough mm. times over the last sort of, gosh, 42 years. Mm. 42, yeah, 42 years. So with your, going back onto your drama training that we touched earlier on, do you think that that's obviously helped you to be on stage? You've alluded to this several times. You are an international speaker. You travel around the world speaking to audiences from probably a couple of hundred to thousands that you do that. What, What sort of type of individuals come to hear you speak and what makes you want to actually do it in the first place because a lot of people public speaking is one of their biggest fears what makes that different for you not sure really I, I think that you know obviously i i have a message i have a story i don't think people want to hear speakers talk about a story you know they don't want to hear about me talking about my father's passing and then my stepfather what they what they're interested in is the story as long as it's underpinned by a message so what's the takeaway how does this how does this change my my life how do i overcome my challenges i don't know what the challenges are of 15,000 people sat in front of me for example but what i do know is there's one common thing that runs through everyone's life which is today's a good day, tomorrow's a difficult day, uh, and in whatever shape or form it manifests itself, we all have challenges. And I think that a lot of people, and the reason actually why I started the podcast series was because I recognise that there's lots of people out there that, that see or perceive the successful person as being somebody they can't connect with. You know, this guy's worth a hundred gazillion pounds, uh, well done to him or her, but ultimately I'm never going to achieve that. Sometimes just Joe Soap, the average man or woman on the street that comes into the podcast studio with an amazing story. You know, Kian Savile is one I remember who uh, has dealt with neurofibromatosis for years and years and years. And, you know, if, if you only listen to one of my podcasts, listen to that one. It is amazing, apart from yours, of course, David. Um, but, you know, he tells this incredible story but what comes from that is this this joy of life despite so much adversity so many challenges and it does put a lot of life you know a lot of life into perspective for me so the podcast series partly uh <laughs> it was kind of like psychological counseling for me personally but at the same time the ability to give back to somebody and to let people know kind of it's okay to have challenges and problems and these roadblocks and obstacles in life uh, and there are actually ways through it and we all approach it differently i've heard passion's important i've heard get up and go and get get the job done and try lots of different things and take risks when you're young we we all have a different take on what success and failure is if there is such a thing as failure because to me it's a learning experience um but the the question was you know uh 
who sits in the audiences. Usually the people are told to be there by the by the sponsoring company, I expect. Um, but actually, by and large, probably 70% of the work I do is with insurance-based companies because mm. obviously there's a connection in terms of what I do. But then that kind of... Uh, we went off and started to explore, you know, building firms and water filter companies and banks and, I've, you know packaging company I've done all sorts what's the most obscure one you think you've ever spoken to the audience uh that's a good question. I can't necessarily think of an obscure one, but I think um, I think a lift manufacturing company was a bit strange because that doesn't seem to have any connection with what I do. But but interestingly, if you take the basic principles of success in life, you can overlay them to any business, whether they make lifts or package widgets or they're in the insurance world. That the same basic principles apply, I think, to to anybody. Do you think we've spoken a lot about adversity, overcoming adversity and life's lessons that it gives you? Do you think that is a necessary part of success? Do you think you need that negativity and adversity to be successful? Or can you be successful without having to go through all of that? I, you know, I've got news for anyone listening that thinks that, uh, you know, success is an upward curve and it never, you know, never deviate from that line. It just doesn't happen like that. You know, I've probably had... Um, you know, I've had periods in my life where everything seems to be going fantastically well. We've all experienced that, and I'm not saying the curve is anything other than upwards, but there's been loads of times when somebody's come and, you know, knocked me off that trajectory or that that uh, that goal, that path. So I think that uh, in whatever way you want to articulate this, whatever way it manifests itself, failure, obstacles, challenges whatever you want to call it, it is an, a fundamental part of achieving a great outcome. There is no such thing as a straight line in either the stock market or success in life. Things have to go backwards before they go forwards and vice versa. The people who are successful in my world, in my mind, are those that make a mistake but do something about it rather than, as to use my analogy earlier on, crawl back under the duvet and wait for the problem to go, you know, to, to go past because um, it doesn't work like that. So the people who kind of confront problems head on, find a way to deal with them, learn from them and emerge from that experience a better person, a more experienced person. Um, and, you know, the reality is, unfortunately, that there aren't that many people. There is a there's a reason why I think it's three percent of the world's population employ the other 97 percent, because not many people want to take the risks. Not many people want to live in that state of discomfort. Um, Richard Branson, to use that uh, example again, Richard Branson didn't wake up one morning and go, right, I'm going to build one of the biggest and most successful companies in the entire world. And then fast forward 20 years, yet everything went according to plan. You know, he stood in front of the bank manager begging for more money. He's had, you know, financial crises to deal with. Mm. He's had... Companies that failed. Exactly. Mm. Um, but, you know, the one thing that I admire most about someone like Richard Branson, and I'm still trying to get him on this podcast, is the fact that he has learned from every single one of those experiences and has emerged a better entrepreneur, a better businessman, and kudos to him for all he's achieved. And, and long, you know, let's hope he makes his, his next billion because he's probably affected the lives positively of a lot more people along the way. And this is what's fantastic. You're, you've done 
over 90 podcasts now where you've chatted to people about their success stories and, and their journeys, and I've listened to most of them. And what I find fascinating about all of them is that everybody's got a story to tell and the lessons they've learned, and you get to understand a little bit more that actually it's not just me that feels like that. Oh, I can't believe that they went through that, or I can align myself to that. And it's a brilliant way of encapsulating someone's stories, their lessons learned in effectively around about half an hour, 40 minutes. And it's a brilliant listen. But looking at the podcast, they are positive. They are very insightful. We get to hear the people talk about it. Why did you start doing these? Why would a financial planner and a conference speaker and author say, I'm going to do a podcast about success? <laughs> there were two reasons. One, my, my kids rib me all the time for my lack of uh, knowledge of anything IT, social media. I mean, they despair. They literally despair. Uh, the number of times that I've had a problem with my phone that to me is catastrophic. You know, my life is about to end because I cannot access an email or a photograph or whatever. And I hand it to my son pulling my hair out and he literally presses one button and hands it back whilst rolling his eyes. So the first thing was to teach myself something new. You know, I was aware of the fact that podcasts were becoming quite popular. So it's that challenge piece. Yeah, it was just... I And I thought... Um, the, the thing to let, let everyone know about, which they may not be familiar with, is that this was never a commercial venture for me, and it still isn't. I fund the entire podcast series myself. There is no commercial benefit to me personally, and I don't expect there ever will be. But the main reason why I wanted to start the podcast series was to try and give back. I, I'm very philanthropic. I raise lots of money for charity. Uh, and part of my giving back to society a society from which I believe I've taken a lot, um, is the ability, particularly with my son and daughter in mind, that kind of the millennials, the people who are probably struggling a little bit at the moment. You the know, ones that fix your IT. The ones that fix my IT. God love them. Um, is the fact that, you know, they probably are a bit directionless, a bit rudderless at the moment. I'm not saying all of them. Some of them have got very, very clear ideas. Some of them are very smart. But I think also a lot of them are probably sitting there waiting for an opportunity in life or don't quite know what they want to do. Um, and I, and I had the benefit of an amazing mentor, which was my father and then my stepfather in particular. And I don't think a lot of people have got that necessarily. So it was the main focus for the podcast series was to take messages of hope, whether it's overcoming adversity or the fact that success is easier to achieve than you think it is to society. Because I've heard lots of podcasts about football and about a particular type of business. I just wanted them to be general. I just wanted it to be, let's hear from, you know, as I said before, the average man or woman in the street. Let's drag him in off the street, screaming and kicking and just sitting down for half an hour. And I wanted them to be half an hour because I wanted them to be accessible. I didn't want them to be three hours like, you know, some of the ones in America, which mm. are fantastic, by the way. But my attention span, which is a bit like a goldfish, I, I don't want to listen to a podcast for more than 30 minutes. So I'm commuting. I just want to stick my headphones on and, and have a listen. So, yeah, it, it just started as a as a kind of a, a give back to society idea. And it was only going to last a few weeks. And here we are, you know, nearly two years later. And we're still going strong with probably about 20 people saying, can I can I be on your podcast, please? And now here you are on your very own I podcast know, this is as well. This, this, is, is, this is strange, isn't it? What's, of all the people that you've talked to now, what's, has there been a common thread? Is there one thing that, that sort of ties all those guests together that have got that one pearl of wisdom, that the one bit of advice? Is there something that's common among all of them? I, yeah, I think there is. I mean, I, I've kind of narrowed it down to about five or six uh, key messages with every speaker articulated in different ways mm. but the one thing I always hear first again 
said in different ways by different people, is you've got to love what you do. You've got to get out of bed in the morning and go, you know what, I'm really looking forward to going to the office or to, you know, overcoming a problem. You know, you've got to be passionate about dealing with problems as well because mm. that's part of the journey. So um, even if they don't say you've got to be passionate, even if they don't say it in that way, you can sit in a podcast studio, David, and you can look somebody in the eye and you just know. Mm. I knew when I looked in Marty's eyes that she was she'd do anything to achieve success, whatever that looks or feels like. I've sat in front of Kian Saville, who's got all manner of health-related problems, but he looked me in the eye and he still had that that joy of life and mm. the and the eight-year plan to participate in the Paralympics. And so actually, once you've got that in your toolkit, a lot of the other stuff does really take care of itself. So lots of people that you've interviewed and lots of people that you've met through your life and career and you've dealt with people in off the television, in films and sports. Who's been your inspiration in life? I, it, it, I've, I've alluded to this before. My stepfather, Dave, um, and I have met some incredible people and I do... I, there's only a couple of people I've actually ever been starstruck by. One, uh, no longer with us, un unfortunately, is Alan Rickman. I literally sat in the Waverley with him and went all a bit mushy. You know, it was kind of like a man crush. The, one of the loveliest men I've ever met. Um, super talented, but very humble with it. Um, and but but by and large, I don't... You know, I have a lot of celebrity clients. I know, you know, my network's pretty big. I don't... I don't really get that starstruck. Why? Because actually when you drill it down, all of these people that we see as super successful in our minds actually have, in many cases, bigger problems than we've got. It's just the fact that they choose different ways to deal with them. So um, in terms of pure inspiration, my stepfather was the one who got me into sport, which was a very important part of my, um, my teenage years, mm -hmm. kept me off the streets, taught me a lot about teamwork, leadership, all those other things. And I, and I do encourage people to get actively involved in sports for that reason. Uh, the theatre was not something I'd thought about prior, but um, his love of it manifested itself in me. So got involved in that. And that took me to drama school. And I did some RSC stuff or Shakespeare Company stuff and got a job working for Angela Weber, in, uh, um, which I turned down, interestingly, for lots of reasons I won't bore you with. But, you know, kind of just, I don't know, just learned loads of amazing things through him. And also, the one thing about Dave was he had this very, very grounded, straightforward, perfunctory way of looking at things. Nothing ever seemed to phase him. He was really laid back, almost horizontal about things. And, it, you know, it was terribly, terribly sad that he he died of uh, of a cancer, was aggressive stomach cancer. My father had died of lung cancer. Um when really, uh, you know, they say it's stress-related and stuff. I can't ever imagine Dave ever being stressed about anything because of the kind of, kind of guy he was. And um, But everything from understanding human nature to approaching things in different ways. He just was, a, was just a lovely, lovely man. And I say that with no disrespect to my father, who I didn't really know that well because it was such a long time ago and I was very young. And my... my stepfather stepfather so roger who my mum's been married to for 25 years um i say that with no disrespect to him either but they're, they're two men either end of the spectrum that i haven't really gotten to know as well as i knew my stepfather who i kind of lived every day with and we did loads of stuff together and uh, in the same way that my mum's very close to my sisters and used to follow their dancing career and all the other things that they did dave was the was the the guy that the boy you know myself and my and my brother marcus kind of latched on to so he was the single biggest inspiration in my life and I think always will be just because of 
the experience I went through with him, you know, sitting with him when he passed away was um, was both probably the single worst experience of my life, but at, but at the same time, almost the most joyous and uplifting for completely opposite reasons. Because in that moment, I I discovered a determination to succeed. I don't take no, it's not that I don't take no for an answer, but if somebody says no, to me it's like, okay, I've done my bit. And, and I'm a great believer that you focus on the process in life. Don't worry about the yes or no. Don't worry about the outcome. We can't determine the no. Somebody else can determine that ultimately. But as long as I do my bit, which is focus on the process in this particular example, speaking to my stepfather, overcoming that anxiety that I had. Mm, yeah. That's really what shaped me as a person. So now I kind of almost have a process for everything. And that's where I take my coaches to, which is, right, let's start at the beginning. Let's develop a process. And interestingly, if you focus on the 10-part process, if that's what it is, interesting, you get to the outcome and you think, oh, how did I get to that point? Whereas if you focus on the outcome, it's very, very difficult to, to kind of get there. So you mentioned, and we're talking about inspiration. I do talk a lot, don't I? I'm sorry. No, this is exactly what we're here. We're here. This is all about you. This is a Sandro Forte podcast, and it's Sandro Forte is being interviewed today. So for people, anyone listening now, that, that we're talking about inspiration, people are saying to themselves maybe, where do I find inspiration? How can people find inspiration? If they're listening maybe in a, in a room on their own or they're driving on the car and they're lacking inspiration in their life... Where can they go and look for it and find it? Well, I think the first thing to do is to differentiate between motivation and inspiration. So motivation is the kind of the short-term emotional need to support an outcome. Inspiration is, is to me, I think the simplest way of me putting this is the, the destination. Where, where is it you want to go? What is it you're trying to achieve? And interestingly, when I was 21, and I, I keep reflecting on this, when I was 21, my goal, my life goal, my inspiration, the thing that I think about every day is I wanted to get to a point in my life, not that I was wealthy, not that I lived in a big house or drove a flash car or went on umpteen holidays every year. It was to get out of bed every single day, David, and to be able to decide what I did with that day now would I ever stop working probably not you'll carry me out of this this business in a box because I love it <laughs> but I wanted to be able to wake up in the morning and be the master of that destiny um and and interestingly you know 30 years on I still that's still my inspiration still my goal um a kind of a tip that I that I talk about in my book I write about in my book but I also um tell everyone really it's it's something that underpins everything I try to achieve personally and I share with others it's a it's a subconscious way of training your brain so in the same way that we uh, we've all learned to walk let's use that as an example when we were little whatever that age that was for most people it'd be about 12 months of age we would watch our mum and dad typically walk around a room and think, well, at the moment I'm kind of shuffling on my bottom and that's a much more effective way of doing it than the way I'm doing it at the moment uh, and therefore I'd like to do it like that. And that's, a, again, a good analogy for people in life generally. I'd like to be like him or I'd mm. like to be like her. So the fact of the matter is we can't be like that person unless we go through a process. The process in this example is we pick ourselves up off the floor. Mum and dad would show us that by maintaining a bit of balance, one foot in front of the other, we could find a better way a more effective way to do something the reality was that when we tried this for the first time it didn't work and it didn't work the second time or the third time or the fourth time it didn't work the second fourth or fifth time when we started to drive a car or learn to swim or you know all the other things that we now do without thinking about and and so um, that's an analogy for 
anything you want to achieve in, 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 in life. The little voice that exists on our shoulder today didn't exist when we were little, when we were small. And so we didn't have that filter. We didn't have the, well, that, you know, I've fallen over. I've embarrassed myself. I've probably hurt myself. The little fi the filter wasn't there to say, oh, do you know what? Just, just carry on doing it the way you were doing because it it's more comfortable. It's not embarrassing. It didn't hurt. Um, we just got up and dusted ourselves off and just kept practicing and practicing until we got it right. And, and now we do that every day with a thousand times a day without thinking and I do believe that success or anything you want to achieve in life as long as you follow that same process easier said than done when you've got this filter the little voice on your shoulder that says do you know what put the weight down clock off an hour early find an excuse not to do something and that little voice is you know the the, the single biggest reason why we don't achieve the outcomes that we want to achieve so what I do is I developed a, like a goal setting technique which just involves writing your goals um, and I normally encourage people to come up with about 20 or 30 of them uh, and people freak out when I say 20 to 30 because they go I haven't got 20 to 30 goals but if you really think about what you're doing this weekend and the extra hour spending spending time with the kids reading a bedtime story to where your next holiday is or, you know, and, and the bigger things like the next house or the next business or when you're going to retire mix them all up 20 to 30 cards write each one on a different card but instead of writing about the things you want to achieve which is what everyone tends to do from a goal setting perspective you talk about the goal having already been achieved because the subconscious and there's loads of neuroscience around this uh, the, con the subconscious mind does not know the difference between what's real and what's imagined mm -hmm. so consequently if you start to drip feed information about the things you have achieved in your mind interest Interestingly, the physical manifestation of your body, your life, your business tends to follow because your subconscious is infinitely more powerful than your conscious. Now, you won't be consciously aware of the extra time you're putting in with your kids or the dinner with your significant other that you've been putting off for ages or just dealing with that really mundane, I call it a mess item, you know, the thing that messes with your head. Uh, I've been meaning to change that light bulb for absolutely ages and I haven't got round to it. Those kinds of things. Just write them all down as goals. But instead of I will do this because it never happens because life gets in the way, the I have achieved this and here's how I felt when I achieved it because they're the two rules in the past how you felt I absolutely guarantee anyone listening the transition from A to B let's call it A to B happens much more quickly and much more effectively if you commit your goals to your subconscious rather than just simply focus on a future event there's always that story isn't there when uh, interestingly when my other half was pregnant suddenly everyone was pregnant but they weren't but you, your brain starts seeing the things yeah. that lead you to get to that end goal as well so you, your subconscious can actually help you get there and it's, it's, it's a remarkable piece of equipment we have in our heads our brain isn't absolutely. it absolutely yeah slight switch of gear now mm -hmm. I'm going to talk about something else that I know is something very close to your heart the million dollar round table and it's somewhere where we frequently met and chatted tell me more about the million dollar round table and what is your association to it and what does it mean to you worldwide organization very philanthropic so there's two answers to the question which i'll deal with uh million dollar round table uh based in chicago worldwide organization with its headquarters in america has been around for 90 years ish um i'm gonna get shot now for not remembering exactly when 1927 you'll know 1920s yeah um and uh the the slight misconception is that People think million dollar, therefore everyone that's associated with it has to be earning a million dollars. It was the group of people that congregated that first meeting all those years ago that were the first in America to sell a million dollars worth of insurance coverage. 
And since that's the mainstay of most financial advisors' advice to clients, you know, protecting your family and so on, and that's my experience, it really is just a gathering of, uh, they're called the Premier Association of Financial Professionals, and it is a gathering of the elite in our industry. And, And to qualify that, I don't mean elite as in, you know, high earners i mean elite as in ethics uh professionalism treating the you know they've got a whole bunch of cornerstones the whole person concepts work-life balance and there's loads of things that we kind of subscribe to um there are some very financially successful people don't get me wrong but you know i think something like 80 countries across the world have members now Mm. we have two annual meetings one in america typically and one in another place because the the organization has grown so extensively over the years so this year in dubai and anaheim um and there are lots of other regional events in different countries as well. They have their own uh, days. And really, the, the platform is just to share openly with other professional people. So you and I would sit and have dinner, as we did in Sydney not long ago. Mm. And we got to know each other pretty well then. And we just share ideas, you know, unconditionally. My my philosophy, and it kind of links to the MDRT philosophy, is that if I've got a great idea and you've got a great idea and we share, we both emerge from that conversation with two great ideas. Mm, absolutely. Um, and, and that's quite a new usual in the modern world you know i've i've interviewed evan maindonald for example on the podcast and to hear him talk about um you know i'm he's very successful but he shares his success with other people and he helps other people to develop their own property empires which is quite unusual not many successful entrepreneurs um outside a few of the people i've already mentioned would openly share because they kind of get a bit precious about their own secrets i've never been precious about mine because you know whatever people learn from me i probably learn twice as much from them that's the reality of networking um the other element of mdrt is it's uh, is its philanthropic arm called the million dollar round table foundation where i'm very proud to be a, a board member a trustee and we give uh, huge amounts of money to needy um individuals and organizations all around the world we've supported tsunami disaster relief we've uh, we support you know national women's day recently and uh, we give grants to all kinds of applications from all around the world one or two of which have come from you and i several have come from me over the years to be able to change the lives of people not just from a financial advisory perspective but also for and on behalf of companies and countries you'd never otherwise reach you know building a school in africa to building a playground in Indianapolis. I mean, some of the projects they do are absolutely incredible. And that's what prompted me to start my own charitable foundation many years ago. And I'm now in the process of starting a project to build a school in Uganda. So that all comes back to one of the first points that we brought up, which is you wanting to help and fix. It's it's come full circle, hasn't it? So in doing your charitable foundation work, you're doing just that where people that you can't reach. So not only are you looking at the clients that you look after, it's the people that you're coaching, it's the people that you're speaking in front of a stage, but also those charities and needy people, you're helping to fix them as well, aren't you? Mm. I must be a psychiatrist's dream because everything tends to link back to the same thing, which is, you know, fundamentally, David, is a desire to help people. Mm. And again, you know, of the 30 years I've been in business and the 51 years I've been on the planet, um, I, I still go back to the fact time and time and time again that for everything I've ever given, I've always had twice as much in return. So I don't think you can ever give enough. Um, you know, I don't think there's ever such thing as a secret. You know, just... I've always been a great believer that you openly share with people and that process of 
helping my network has come from helping other people and the good people I do believe I have this this little saying that life is a revolving door um, you reap what you sow there's loads of expressions for it but ultimately all the good people that I've ever come, come across in my life where I've helped them in some way shape or form they have given back many times over and the ones who don't give back philosophically I just take a view that not everyone's built the same not everyone has the same uh, approach to things and that's okay so um I don't think you can pick and choose I think you just have to give unconditionally um because I, I do think that you are a more complete person um for the experiences good and bad a good and bad that you uh, the experience in your life lastly just to wrap up this podcast Traditionally, what you do at the end of all of your podcasts <clears throat> is that you ask your guests all one question. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to do exactly the same to you. And you're grinning across the other side of the microphone. You know what's coming, Sandro. If you could give someone a younger version of you or just a younger person or anybody just one piece of advice about success that will help and guide them, be their North Star, for whatever better word, what would that one piece of advice be that's crucial to success? Be a doer. That's, that, that, for me, is the single best piece of advice I've ever given to anyone. Just be a doer. Too many of us sit and think things through. You know, look, I know there's reasons why we need to analyse something, and I'm not saying you just go diving into the deep end all of the time. But um, in all of my experiences, particularly of coaching people uh, and seeing lots of successes and, inverted commas, failures in life, the, the main difference between those who achieved something meaningful and those who didn't is the people who got up, after, got up out of their seat in life, to use that analogy from earlier, uh, and just did it. Look, when you do something, David, you are going to make some mistakes. Not everything will be the best call you could have made and you will look back and you will kind of go, wish I hadn't done it that way. That's called regret. But one thing I've learned is that if you don't have a discipline to do something, you will always have regret. Regret will follow as night follows day. But if you get up out of your seat in life and do something, you take positive action, most of the time, the outcome will be far more positive than negative. Except the fact that you will get the odd call wrong. That's inevitable. But if you if you are prepared to go on that journey and enjoy it, I can almost sit here today and guarantee much more, posi- much more positive outcomes for, uh, for taking action than sitting there making excuses. Sandro Forte, thank you for being my guest on the Sandro Forte thank podcast. Thank you for being such a pro as well. I and mean, radio broadcaster extraordinaire. <laughs> but it's been truly inspirational to hear your story and hear your side of things. And I just think from people listening to the podcast, it's invaluable that they've got to know a little bit more about the Sandro. Each week, Sandro has a new guest sharing their own insights into achieving their own success or overcoming life's challenges. Please make sure you subscribe, leave a five-star review, follow Sandro on Twitter and Facebook both are at Sandro's podcast and the real Sandro Forte on Instagram. If you want to leave any feedback, share what you want to hear more of in future episodes, or ask any questions, you can do so via email hello at sandrospodcast.com.